5: you can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
3: You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?
2: Hi, Cast listeners. This is Jamie. And this is Caitlin. So we just wanted to do a quick explainer at the top uh, of this episode. We're doing something a little different this time. Um, We're covering Tangerine, a movie that you know us, we, we have a lot of uh, blind spots going into analyzing this movie. So we wanted to get a number of perspectives on it. Um, so mm-hmm. you will hear not one, but three different guests today. Uh, Kai Choice mm-hmm. is with us for the majority of the episode, but we also have um, analyses and um, input from two other incredible guests, Dahlia Bell and Violet Gray. So look forward to that And I guess it's also worth stating that we talked with um, Dahlia and with Violet after the recording of this original episode.
4: Yes. So um, enjoy the episode.
2: On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the
5: Bechdel cast.
4: Hello and welcome to the Bechtel Cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftus. It's us. This is our podcast.
2: This is our feminist movie podcast, where we lead our discussion and our analysis using the Bechtel test, which is a media test made by queer writer Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel Wallace test, mm-hmm. uh, but. Caitlin it's been a couple of weeks what is the Bechdel test oh, I simply don't remember gee
4: whiz it. I'll see if I can remember yeah um now historically uh we have and many people have used a version of the Bechdel test that
2: uh <laughs> it's funny to use the word historically in as it pertains to, us, to a show us? that's been on for um, four years <laughs> historically though no. no historically I I see where you're going. I see where you're going. Yes. With. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, like with us and then also
4: on a larger scale, uh, many people use the Bechdel test in terms of do two women speak to each other? That's what we've always said. Now, in, in our ongoing effort to be more inclusive, we are adjusting the way we see the Bechtel test. And rather than two women or two female identifying characters speaking to each other about something other than a man, mm-hmm. the version of the test that we are going to use moving forward is two people of any marginalized gender. So that includes women, that includes non-binary people, that includes intersex people, that includes trans men. Uh, speak to each other about something other than a
2: Cis, cis man, yeah, a cis man, yeah, because if there's anything we don't need more of in cinema, it's cis men, cis men. <laughs> right? So that is our Bechdel test moving forward, yes. Uh, sh- shall we try to make it pass? Okay, yes, uh, okay. This is a special dystopian edition of Bechdel <laughs> test. Ready? Uh, l- let's run it. Hey, Caitlin, yes, Jamie, I. Don't know why, but the National Guard just flew a drone over my house. Just something terrifying to think about. Um, and we're talking about a drone. Mm-hmm. That's an example of the mental test being passed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is
4: scary. We live in a police state, and um, fuck the police. Defund
2: the police. Yes. If you if you uh, if you're pro cop, log out. Yeah. Go do some reading. Anyways, um, yes, I'm very <laughs> excited for the movie that we're covering today. This has been a, a long time coming. We've been talking about covering this movie for a long time, um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm glad we're doing it. We're covering Tangerine. Yes, we are. And we have
4: a guest with us, as always, a special guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a comedian, uh, podcaster, host of Women Who Kill podcast. It's Kai Choice.
6: Hello. Hey, Kai. How's it going? It is. It is. It's it's going? It It, it is.
2: <laughs> it is going. That feels like, yeah, that feels like the right vibe. Was
6: that a real, that was a real drone that wasn't a bit that actually happened to you? No, I was on
2: the phone with Caitlin before you jumped on the Zoom call, and it was like, it became really loud all of a sudden, and I looked out the window, and there was just a gigantic, like, low-flying drone just going over my neighborhood that I need to do some Googling about. I was like, I thought... Hmm. Are they still here? Like, I don't, I don't know. But it was very close and very loud. I've never seen one in real life. Me either. Yeah. yeah. Um, shaken to my core. <laughs> I mean, ho- hopefully by the time this episode airs, I will know more. But given, mm-hmm. uh, who, knows? who knows? You'll be but fine. Yeah, uh, you'll be fine. Keep us posted. Uh, yeah, I will. <laughs>
4: Yikes. Um, Welcome, well, We're excited to have <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Thank Terrifying you. Terrifying
2: drones aside, we're, ha- we're happy you're here.
4: Yes. Like we said, we're so excited to cover Tangerine. Kai, what is your relationship
6: with this film? I love this movie. I, I saw this movie mm-hmm. for the first time a, a couple years ago. yeah. And the only thing that made me want to watch it was... Uh, well, I, the plot sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I heard they shot it on an iPhone. And I was like, I need to see how yeah. terrible yeah. this is. <laughs> and it wasn't. Mm-mm. It's great. No, it's like... I, I think that if I
2: didn't know that this movie was shot on an iPhone going into my first viewing, I wouldn't have guessed it. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would have been like, oh, it looks like a DIY movie, but I never would have guessed it was shot on an
6: iPhone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I would have thought they just they did something weird to stylize it. I'm like, no, that's, that's just how it looks when, when that's what <laughs> you use. But it worked. Also, two yeah. white guys? Two white guys produced yes. it? Yes. <laughs> that impressed
4: me. <laughs> we'll talk all about that. Yeah. yeah. But the director of this movie is a white man named Sean Baker. Mm-hmm. And then he co-wrote it with uh, Chris Berg- Bergach.
2: Well, we'll talk about that, though, because I think that the, I think that the writing mm-hmm. credits of this movie are a little are, are a little bit. Belong to messed up
4: other people. Yes. Uh,
2: yes. Um, oh, why? The, the improv or?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah,
4: and we'll we'll cover this more when we get into this discussion, but the central conflict of this movie, the whole plot, is something that the one lead actor in particular, Kitana Kiki Rodriguez, who plays Cindy, mm-hmm. actually a few things that happen in the movie, uh, a few pretty major plot points, or, like, again, the whole story are, like... Her, like, lived experience. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, things that either happened to her or friends of, like, happened to friends of hers that she would just kind of, like relayed the information to these white cis male screenwriters. Uh. <laughs> and I mean, there's, there's definitely, like I said, there's a whole discussion to be had, but, um,
6: yeah. okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the production of this movie, I didn't know anything about other than the iPhone aspect. I didn't know much about the production of this movie. And there's, mm-hmm. there, there were a lot of twists and turns for sure. In the production. There's a, there's a Duplass brother that gets involved. You're just like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. There's, mm. Well, Jamie, what's your relationship and history with it? I have seen this movie before. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the first time I watched it just because I think it had come to streaming recently and I just wanted to see it because everyone's mm-hmm. like, it's the iPhone movie and it's great. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. Um, I wasn't, I, at the time I wasn't watching it critically, but I was excited to revisit it for, um, for the show and... Guess what? I still love it. It's a really fun movie. Same. What about you, Caitlin?
4: Yeah, I saw it. It came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably didn't watch it for the first time until a couple years later. I think I saw it in 2017, the first time. And I had heard similar things, like, they shot the whole thing on an (laughs) iPhone. Isn't that marvelous? But... I'm almost kind of like, who cares about that? Like it's such a monumental film for so many other reasons. Yeah. Um, And it's so fun. It's so funny. It's, I mean, a romp, Uh, you know me, I love a good romp. (laughs) Um, But it's, yeah, I I loved it. I watched it. I've seen it a, a few times now over the years. And, um, Big fan.
2: Big I fan. think it kind of selfishly, it's fun because it takes place near where we all live. And oh, so you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, I know. It. Oh, cool. I, I, yeah. I think
6: I know every I'm location.
4: I've
2: driven past donut time before. Yeah.
6: <laughs> but also there there are parts where you're like, you didn't walk there. You didn't walk from there. You know? today. <laughs> yes, there's no know, way.
2: Right? <laughs> yes. I was like, unless we're far. cutting to like hours later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So sh- should we uh, jump in? Yeah, let's do the
4: recap. Cool. So, it's Christmas Eve. It's a Christmas movie in Los Angeles. It's
2: a Christmas movie, right? It is. Oh, oh, this is good. This should be added to the uh, like. Official holiday movie master list.
6: Yeah, with Die Hard. For sure.
2: And one of
4: many reasons I like this movie is that it's a movie that takes place around Christmas time that treats Christmas like it's just any other day. It kind of... Sometimes it's lighting.
2: I feel like the the main plot of it being Christmas is like some fun holiday lighting in some scenes. Which we're like, all right, cool. (laughs) But for the most
4: part everyone's just like I don't really give a fuck that it's Christmas and I'm like that's how I feel. <laughs> uh as the resident um Scrooge McGrinch of the group. Um <laughs> did you just so- Scrooge McGrinch? Uh-huh. Yes that is what I said <laughs> okay. and I'm so sorry everybody. Innovating.
2: Innovating all over the place.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's actually the name of my new screenplay, um, Scrooge McGrinch, the The anti-Christmas story.
6: The anti-Christ mass <laughs> story. <laughs> uh,
4: yes, it stars. <laughs> Who does it start? Who does it start? Oh, um, um, oh my gosh. Honestly, if Alfred Molina is not in this movie, I'll pitch a fit. It's true. So...
2: He belongs somewhere in this universe. I'm yeah. assuming it's an expanded universe. There's a lot, mm. you know. Oh, Scrooge yeah, McGrinch, definitely. I need. I need at least four movies to, <laughs> to unpack. That. You'll get them.
4: Uh, I'm working on it. Um, okay. Anyway, so it's it's Christmas Eve in Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? And we meet
6: West Hollywood specifically in yeah.
4: West Hollywood. Yep. Yeah. Mm. We meet Cindy, played by Katana Kiki Rodriguez. And you gotta spell it. Yes. yes. It's not the like C I N D Y spelling that you might no, be accustomed to. Not the to. Brady spelling. Mm-mm.
6: It's S I N hyphen D E E. Last name Rella.
4: Last name Rella. So Cindy Rella. Yes. There's our protagonist's name. You don't call her um, protagonista? And then... <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> though yeah. I'm not sure I will. Um. <laughs> And then um, she is with Alexandra, played by Maya Taylor, and they are best friends, and they are both trans sex workers. In their conversation, Alexandra lets it slip that Cindy's boyfriend and pimp, Chester, has been cheating on her with a white cis woman whose name they're not totally sure of, but they think it begins with a D. And this was happening while Cindy was gone for the past few weeks. And we found out later that she was in jail for possession of drugs that she was holding for Chester.
2: She was in jail for 28 days, right? That
4: yes. Was so day- okay. Mm-hmm.
6: So she's, yeah.
2: This is actually the
4: sequel to 28 Days Later. <laughs>
6: uh-huh. By the way, R.I.P. Donut Time. I know. Yeah,
2: it was a simpler uh, time.
6: It was a donut time.
2: <laughs> it was a donut time. Wow,
4: you're not wrong um, Okay, so Cindy sets off to find this lady Yeah,
6: the fish The the, the fish, fish. Mm-hmm.
4: And Alexandra reluctantly agrees to help her And she's also handing out flyers for a show that Alexandra has Later that night at Hamburger Mary's at 7pm
2: Yes, this is where the walking comes in You're just like, how did we get here so quickly? Right uh, <laughs>
4: Meanwhile, we meet Rasmik. Rasmik, a cab driver, yeah. uh, and we see him driving some people around. He'll now kind is of... this
6: before? Is this before? Is this Bu? Is this before Uber? Or uh, was... oh, Ooh, no. good question. Uber was so, definitely right? a thing at this point. It was just was it kind of new?
2: Maybe mm. like wasn't a gigantic threat to the cab industry yet. Yeah,
6: mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know because he seemed busy.
2: Right, he was always driving, and it was like, yeah, I guess it would have been cab times. I also, I mean, this movie was like shot, let me get the exact dates of when this was shot, because it might have been shot like at an even more cab time, let me see. Okay, it was filmed at the end of 2013, so I feel like Mm -hmm. that is pretty firmly like before Uber really, really caught on, right? It was still, it was already
4: definitely a thing, but yeah, I don't know if like the widespread adoption of like Uber and Lyft was, it wasn't super popular yet so in the
2: time. comments.
4: But um, Kai, you said BU and that provides an opportunity for me oh to bring up God. something that I hate did to bring up, to, which is did you that, go to
6: Mormon College?
4: Uh, no, that's BYU. I went oh, to Boston. You yeah, <laughs> and I okay. did get a master's <laughs> degree in screenwriting. Okay. There. Um. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome.
6: <laughs> I did that on purpose. I
4: hate to bring it up, but you left me no choice. Um, okay, so we meet this cab driver, and then we cut back to Cindy. She asks Nash, played by Ian Edwards, who um, is a comic, and actor, of course. But uh, He's really funny. He's super funny, yeah. yeah. She asks Nash if he has seen Chester, uh, and he tells her to go to a food line where she might be able to get some more information from people. That leads her to Bob, who tells her to go to a particular motel. Meanwhile, Alexandra starts working. A guy picks her up. They get into a fight because he won't
2: pay her. Yeah, he he completely shortchanges her um mm-hmm. from the jump and then the situation escalates because
6: cops get involved and b- because this is fiction the cops are hella cool <laughs>
2: right. yeah the cops don't they still suck but they're... they're like it's
6: christmas
2: right right they're like i'm gonna <laughs> let this one slide and you're just like okay like, really yeah.
4: would you do that i don't mm. think so it's still fucked up so then we see we're back to Rasmic driving around cruising he's looking for a sex worker to pick up and we learned that he is pretty much only interested in trans women uh, and then he and alexandra cross paths uh, because he is a regular client of hers mm-hmm. then cindy finally finds the woman she's looking for her name is Dina. dinah mm-hmm. pulls her out of this party room at this uh,
6: motel and starts party dragging room. her Party room, part- oh, <laughs> <that's>, excellent. <laughs> that's such a nice. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Party room so wholesome, right? I I know that motel by the way. Oh yeah, no I, way! Uh, Where is it? It's a Hollywood and La Brea.
4: Oh okay. Okay. Oh yeah, I used to drive past there all the time mm-hmm. going
6: to Nerd Melt. I used to work at a. <laughs> the only real job I ever had was a nonprofit mm-hmm. that uh, provided services to a lot of uh, sex workers, mm-hmm. and. Everyone knew that that motel is like legit. That's all that motel does is really? they, rent, they rent by the hour to sex workers, and it was it was nice to see that you know they're still doing business. They're mm-hmm. still doing really well. Mm. Got some some full frontal male nudity. Oh,
2: we see <laughs> at least one dick. Yeah, it's a it's a scared dick. They, it's a dick against the wall, and you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She finds Dinah. She finds Dinah and pulls her out, like
4: drags her out by her hair and starts dragging her across town toward donut time where she finds out that Chester is... But then she realizes it's a little past 7 p.m. and that she's missing Alexandra's show. So Cindy drags Dinah to Hamburger Mary's to they get watch on a bus. the performance. They get on a they bus. They get on a city yeah. bus.
2: You never see... That's like one small representation thing that I always really appreciate. And but you never see uh-huh. like protagonists use public transit. <sighs> like it's... <sighs> and when you actually see it, you're like, people, people, of course, <laughs> like they're... But, yeah, they, they, they hang out on a real-life L.A. city bus. What a dream. And
6: everyone has seen that. Yeah. You know, if you've ever, like, taken a bus for more than a couple of days at a time, you've you've seen a situation like that. You're like, I'm going <laughs> to pretend this isn't happening right now. This is, this is right. none of my business. <laughs> is, Someone is probably in danger, but.
2: This is right. a low-key hostage situation. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a hostage romp. Mm-hmm.
6: Everyone minded their own business. It was nice.
2: Yeah, we all got <laughs> to where we were going. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, we
4: see Razmake at home and realize that he is married. He and his wife have a small child, his mother in law lives with them. So we realize basically he's kind of living this double life.
6: They are Armenian. Yeah. By they, the way. Yes.
4: They're
2: Armenian. They're, I mean, it, it is like there are so many elements of this movie that make it like an awesome LA movie because it's so many mm-hmm. like underrepresented communities in LA yeah. specifically are in the, and it, it's mm-hmm. like seeing an Armenian immigrant family and seeing them like actually characterized and not just like in passing is, f- yeah. for the amount of movies that take place in LA, it's like, A super rarity. It's cool. Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, So he also heads toward
4: Alexandra's show at Hamburger Mary's. Then we see her singing at the show. And then we also see Cindy and Dinah's interactions being a little less antagonistic than they were a little bit before. I wanted
6: to see Dinah continue to be beaten because the only two white people in this movie are the kind of white people who who use the N-word because they think it's cool. Right. And so anytime something bad was about to happen to them, I'm like, yes, bring it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> More. Right, More cause it's her and Chester. And Chester, yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, <laughs> Ch- it, it is wild because there is such a huge build in the movie to you meeting Chester. And then yeah. when you meet Chester, you're like... It's not what you expect. You're just like, this is who we were so... This guy? <laughs> All <Yeah>. right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has a great personality, and then he doesn't. No, there. And then he
6: does not. And then he this is who no. everyone was fighting for. Right, I'm <laughs> liter- <laughs> literally.
2: Chester has mm-hmm. no idea how good he has it. <laughs>
4: right? Yeah their their interactions become a little less antagonistic. They smoke. Is that is that crack? They, they bond crack over crack meth. They're smoking? They're smoking. Okay, it's oh, meth. is it meth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know drugs. Embarrassing. Oh, God, um, Caitlin,
6: so <laughs> how do you live in L. A. and you don't know meth?
4: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm a square. It's a
6: cultural staple.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's basically the main thing LA is known for. So that happens. And then Cindy also fixes Dinah's smudgy makeup. So it's like, maybe they're starting to be sort of friendly toward each other. The
6: makeup that she fucked up because she beat her until she cried it off.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Correct.
6: (laughs) It's very sweet.
2: It is. It is like that. It ends up being a very tender moment where... Oh, I, I love the pacing of this movie, too, where it's just, like, things are, like, happening, happening, happening. It's a romp. We're going from place to place very quickly. And then every once in a while, you get, like, to really hang somewhere. And it's not always with the characters that you expect. Like, I wasn't expecting a longer scene with Cindy and in Like, Dina. five minutes
6: in the bathroom? Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. When, but it
2: just feels right. And it, like, gives you a chance to catch your breath and see these characters together. You're just
6: like, damn, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: So then they head back toward
4: Donut Time to link up with Chester. Meanwhile, oh, we going to
6: talk about how terrible uh, the show was?
4: <laughs> oh, sh- yeah. I, it's not fair of me to gloss over that. Yes. Um, no one shows up, really, to Alexander's show, which, as comedians, um, yes. relatable. We understand. <laughs> we get
2: it. Especially around, like, the holidays in L.A., and mm-hmm. if you're like still doing shows, you're just like, there's four lonely people and they're so into it. And then other mm-hmm. than that, there's no one. And you're just like, ugh.
6: You know what I right. wish they had done? I wish that in the middle of her song, they had turned on a blender at
2: the bar. <laughs> <park. laughs> you know, yeah, someone started shaking a drink really hard.
6: Like <laughs> Every time. Every time someone orders a fucking daiquiri. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's ordering a daiquiri? Who? <laughs>
2: And whoever A it Christmas is, Dougherty. then is, like, heckling from the back. You're just like,
6: God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then we find out
4: that she had to basically, like, pay to get stage time. Uh-huh. Also relatable.
2: We've all been there. We've
4: all, I definitely have paid $5 to participate
2: in an open mic before. <laughs> yep. Oopsies. But it's it's an audition, Caitlin. <laughs> right. It's, it's valuable. You're being charged in experience. <laughs> There oh, I I thought Alexandra's performance was lovely. I was Yeah, I, it, was sweet. it was really sweet and really nice and I was just I don't know. Yeah, I it's just like a holiday time show feel where you're just like It'd be so nice if there were people here.
4: <laughs> okay, so then so they're heading back toward donut time. Meanwhile, Rasmik is trying to find Cindy and Alexandra, but he missed them at Hamburger Mary's. So he asks their friends where they might be. And then he also heads toward Donut Time. But, but he lied
6: to his family. He lied to his family. And his. he said he had to go to work.
4: Yes. Right. Um, his mother-in-law is suspicious. So she gets in another cab and hunts him down. So then Cindy, Alexandra, and Dinah arrive at Donut Time And Cindy confronts Chester, who we meet on screen for the first time, about cheating on her with Dinah. Chester's all like, no, Cindy, I love you. You are my fiancé. And then everyone's like, wait a minute, what? You're engaged? And Dinah is heckling the whole time? Yes. Right. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Yep. And then Chester eventually admits to having sex with Dinah and just then um, Razmik shows up because he wants to spend time with Cindy but right then his mother-in-law also shows up and she realizes what Razmik has been getting into this whole time so there's a lot of yelling and then she calls her daughter Razmik's wife and she shows up
6: and then there's and more this yelling poor woman who owns the donut <laughs> shop is just yes. like why does this
4: keep happening she keeps she keeps threatening to call the cops uh-huh. um, which again would have in real life resulted in
6: everyone dying <laughs> probably. yeah probably
4: but yes thankfully the cops never show up
6: yeah that's real I was like classic mm. cops yeah it's an emergency yeah. okay we'll be there in six hours <laughs> right.
4: but anyway so uh, Rasmik's wife is just like well you know sometimes a wife has to look
6: the other way
4: because he is the
6: the sole breadwinner breadwinner right? yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah. She's like, why did you call me down here? I know this already. (laughs) Trying to pretend this isn't happening. Now you have to embarrass everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right.
4: But anyway, so it seems like everything's going to be okay after all this chaos has just erupted. But then Chester is like, wait a minute. Alexandra is the one who told you that I was cheating Cindy? Well, did she mention that she and I had sex? And then Cindy is devastated that her best friend would betray her like that. So she storms off. Alexandra is trying to reconcile, but she's not having any of it. And then she tries to go to work, but uh, some awful bastards throw a cup of urine on Cindy. And then Alexandra runs over and helps her get cleaned up. They go to a laundromat. They, She, you know, she washes her off. Uh, and then she gives Cindy her hair. And then they make up.
6: And that's the end of their night and the end of the movie. Why is, is Chester the... what? Why can can no one do better than Chester? I don't understand. Yes, uh, zero redeemable quality. Because
4: you see these women like knowing their worth a lot. Like throughout the whole movie, they're like, No, like you have to give me more money. Like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of them
2: knowing their worth. I feel like I guess not with not to defend Chester <laughs> but And I'm not defending Chester, but there's a lot of strong women who know their worth who are inevitably, like, kind of inexplicably with a Chester.
6: Drawn to (laughs) 40-year-old dudes who still have skateboards. Right, and you're just like, okay, so this is just,
2: this is, there's something that, you know, like cindy hasn't unpacked where she's you know everyone has a. Sh- uh, I I have a certain kind of shitty guy that i'm you have a chester to. i have a child <laughs> it's not the chester type but i have my chesters you know i've had uh-huh. my share of chesters <laughs> sure uh, well, among us hasn't had a chester or two uh,
4: yeah uh well let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss the film cool
2: could
1: just being me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent,
5: only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect.
3: And we're back. So where to begin? There's
2: there's so much, uh, so many wonderful (laughs) things to talk about. Does it make sense to get into some
4: of the context in terms of like the production and development of this movie? Sure
2: thing. First, yeah. So so uh, I think that the surprising thing for me, because again, when I was watching this movie the first time, I didn't do research on the director. I was just watching it to enjoy Mm -hmm. it. But the director and uh, one of the two credited writers on this movie is a director, Sean Baker, who is like a white guy who went to NYU, mm-hmm. which I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting a white guy who went to NYU. <laughs> and so I think that that is like, that's worth discussing here because I think that this movie is um, is and is considered a step forward in trans representation in like bigger like critically acclaimed films let's say and then mm-hmm. behind it you have this movie wouldn't have been made if mark duplass hadn't gotten involved and if mm-hmm. this guy sean baker hadn't directed it so he would made movies before i think this was his first like big really popular movie and then he went on to he also made uh the florida project right but same same writing team, same director. and Same font on the
6: poster, even.
2: Same font, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> think it's of true. that. So, I mean, it, it's nothing. I mean, I don't know a, of anything negative about Sean Baker, but I do think that that is something that has come up on our show before, where um, sometimes in movies that are, like, pushing forward in some ways, you still have a lot of the old guard let's say behind the camera which kind of which sucks like you i mean ideally there should be more black directors being able to direct black stories and trans directors being able to direct trans stories and not need you know have the perceived need for a white guy who went to nyu really involved at all i think in Mm -hmm. this case a, a beautiful movie was was turned out by it but that kind of gets into what we were talking about a bit at the top of the show, mm-hmm. which is the writing process. And once you find out that like a Duplass brother is involved, the writing style kind of all comes together. You're like, OK, so both of them. Yeah. You're like, OK, so this movie isn't necess- like It's written and it's not written because that's a very like. Duplass brothers, they're the they're the mumblecore kings, whatever. <laughs> and it seems like this movie had a very similar approach to writing. So my understanding, based on uh, just the production history and on uh, interviews I read at the time that the movie was coming out was that Sean Baker did not wasn't ingratiated in the communities he's portraying in these movies. He is he was just kind of a guy who made movies and was looking for stories to tell and uh, lived in West Hollywood and so was aware of the sex worker community. He was aware of the trans community, but he, you know, obviously he didn't have any experience there himself. and so he started, to um, talk with the, the two women who eventually starred in this movie, uh, Katana Kiki Rodriguez and Maya Taylor. And through, Caitlin, you were saying this earlier, but through mm-hmm. talking with them, getting to know them, uh, spending time with them, sort of discovered the story that seemed right to tell through talking with them Mm -hmm. and like you were saying a lot of the major plot points in this movie are based on the experiences that either they or their friends had had right because they are both former sex workers Mm -hmm. they are both trans
4: women they like very much lived this experience that their characters are depicting in the movie which on one hand it's amazing that you have trans characters played by trans actors Which is, unfortunately, historically in Hollywood, pretty rare. Eddie Um, Redmayne.
2: (laughs) I feel like he still hasn't had to answer for that.
4: Oh, for the Danish girl? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the fact that, yeah, I mean, they are black trans women. They have this experience of being former sex workers. It's their kind of real life story that's being told through this movie that, again, was as far as accredited writers go is these two cis white men
2: yeah it's a really long way of getting to the fact that kiki and maya should based on everything i've read and seen about this movie they should be credited as writers of this movie just as much if not more so than sean baker Mm -hmm. and chris berg bergach Bergach? not sure how to say it
6: yeah (laughs) question mark who's this chris guy
2: Who is there's no Wikipedia link for him, so we may never know.
4: (laughs) But uh, this is also, in addition to like again, major plot points being lifted from their lived experiences. Yeah. um, I also read that a lot of the dialogue that was written into the script got basically altered, improvised, adapted to be more authentic. uh, To be more authentic, right? right? So it was the actors, sort of rewriting the dialogue. I could tell that.
6: Chester's lines were 100 written, but yeah, by a straight cis white dude. <laughs> like that—that that was written mm-hmm. on a fucking MacBook Pro. Those lines right there, final 100%. draft. Going on. Yeah, <laughs>
2: there, yep. it is. It, it's true, and I feel like yeah, when you when you know that going into watching the movie, the viewing experience is—it's still a wonderful movie, but it's a little different because mm-hmm. you can you can hear those written scenes in there, like. Under this like very authentic, like natural feeling dialogue mm-hmm. from Kiki and Maya, and I was also saying reading and and hearing in the interviews that they gave around this, the Kiki and Maya were also really instrumental in like constantly reminding Sean Baker and pushing to make the movie funny and to make it a romp.
6: Mm-hmm. And they're so funny. They're so naturally funny.
2: Yeah, for sure.
6: Like their line readings were ridiculous yeah it's hilarious so perfect and it seems like
2: and and i think that a tendency a lot for white filmmakers telling non-white stories is to just it's depressing and it's like framed as tragedy and even though there are sad things that happen inside of this movie it doesn't feel like a weighed down tragic story and that sounds based on all the interviews it sounds like that is directly due to Kiki and Maya pushing for that. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I cannot find a reason other than Hollywood being an asshole that they're not credited (laughs) as writers on this movie. So
4: To speak to that a little more, um, this is a quote from an article in The Guardian where it says, quote, the filmmaker admitted that his approach would have been more downbeat and dramatic had Rodriguez not put her foot down. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, he realized how right she was. She was asking for something that would present these characters to mainstream audiences in a pop culture way so that they could identify with them, end quote. So
2: then... Pay her for that. Like, it's just so... (laughs) Oh, it's so annoying when people pull this shit and continue to pull this shit. Mm Because, yeah, I mean... It seems like they wrote more
6: of the story than he did. I know. He's like, eventually, I realized that you know she was kind of right about like how <laughs> the story that she basically uh, created should be told. You know, like uh, she had she had good instincts. I guess.
2: And he's like, yeah, I'll put my name on that. Sure. <laughs> You're just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. There, and uh, it it's so many things at once because I just like. Ugh, it's frustrating because it's like I'm not trying to suggest that Sean Baker is a bad person, and I think mm-hmm. that he made a, a lovely movie, but it, it just doesn't seem like uh, Kiki and Maya are adequately credited for the amount right. of influence and work that they did and had over
6: this movie. So. Yeah, the the actors made it
2: totally.
4: And, yeah, especially because, like, a writing credit would have meant that they got more money. They would have been paid more and yeah. and
2: things like that. They could have been nominated for writing awards. Like, they're, mm-hmm. uh, and another thing that this movie, I think, was, like, considered as, like, a milestone that Tangerine pushed forward was some of the first... Um, the Oscars suck, so, of course, they slept on it, but mm-hmm. um, some of the first, like, acting nominations for trans women were because of this movie. yeah, yeah, so I mean there there is a lot of, if not first um, some of the best in in recent memory uh, progress for for mm-hmm. representation, but it's still just the fact that at the end of the day it is credited basically exclusively to white guys behind the camera is mm-hmm. disappointing and frustrating, and it's like I wish I could say I were surprised.
6: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering how much anyone got paid on this though, because it was yeah. super the budget well was a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, oh, boy. They shot it on three five s's.
2: Okay, right, iPhone yeah. five s's. Yeah, and they edited yeah. it, and I think just like iMovie probably. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was super. I mean, it seems like they used equipment that they already had to make it. But mm-hmm. even that aside, it's like they still have a whole crew. They have there's a lot of performers in this movie and you have to imagine they're not making yeah. a ton of money to do it. And mm-hmm. it's like, Mark Duplass, you have money. Yeah, Come on, yeah. Mark. Sir. In any case, yeah. Well, something that
4: has been coming up for us a lot is we want to encourage people from all backgrounds to be inclusive in their writing, and we we've been saying again this more often, more recently. But you know, we we're not saying that <laughs> a white cis man couldn't make a great movie about black trans sex workers because we saw that they did, that did happen. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a, a quote here from another article entitled what Tangerine taught Hollywood about how to tell trans stories Mm -hmm. from the publication them quote to craft a story about a world with which they had little experience. Director Sean Baker and his writing partner, Chris Berg uh, (laughs) um, knew when to ask for help right away. The humility demonstrated by Baker and Berg in copping to a lack of knowledge about their intended subject up front is essential for any cis filmmaker who wants to incorporate trans themes or characters into their work. I'll end the quote there and we'll post this article because I think the whole thing is worth reading. But um, that's what we always say, like do your homework. You can represent communities responsibly, even if you do not belong to that community, it is going to be much harder for you and it will take a lot more Homework um, but I guess and I don't want to but <laughs> I don't the, wanna sound like I'm giving these the guys ca- too much credit but the bottom line is yeah definitely that like these two actors, the lead actors in this movie should have been given far more credit in what they contributed creatively to the movie way more than they were.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean it's like if you're doing your homework, that is critical and important but you also need to like give credit where credit is due and that's not just in interviews it is also something that you do financially and it's something you Mm -hmm. do by like using your own influence to continue to like provide a platform and provide like it's just i sean baker is more on the right track than i think a lot of cis white guys are but it's mm-hmm. still the fact that ugh I'm just like they should have been paid more, they should have been credited more and because mm-hmm. like this movie was nominated for a lot of behind the scenes stuff too and, and and they should have you know gotten a, a, a cut of that as well. So Yeah. Ay yay. <laughs> what have,
6: what have they done after this? Uh
2: not too much and unfortunately that this is um kiki rodriguez's only film credit and maya has been in in a few other things but mostly short films and then she's in a, a movie called stage mother that came out this year that has mm. jackie weaver and lucy Lou and adrian grenier i don't so so she's okay. she's she's working but it but kiki isn't as much and i i feel like That's something, too, is is the fact that Sean Baker, you know, gets to kind of use Tangerine as a springboard and go on to make the Florida Project, uh, a movie that I, I mean, I haven't seen it. I know it's well regarded, but a movie with a larger budget and a movie like he was able to leverage Tangerine into more opportunities for himself. But what mm-hmm. about the women whose story he was literally telling with Tangerine? And mm-hmm. did they get left behind in, in an unfair way? And and what, meanwhile, this white guy gets to use their experience, however well told, as a springboard for his own career. Right.
6: Mm. Yeah.
4: Yuck. Um <laughs> <laughs> This is a good time to cut to our next segment with another one of our special guests. She is a stand-up and improv comic, a dungeon master, and sometimes freestyle rapper. It's Violet Gray. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. So more or less, we just wanted to hear your thoughts specifically on the representation of Black trans women in the movie Tangerine.
7: Sure. So I was just telling my partner that my position on this has evolved quite a bit, because Mm -hmm. if you had asked me 15 years ago what I thought of the representation of black trans women in the movie Tangerine, I would have talked about this uh, uncomfortable consistency in portraying black women and black trans women as like drug addicted uh prostitutes mm-hmm. but since then in the last 15 years or so i've really evolved on uh what it means to be a sex worker and what it means to have addiction mm-hmm. and um i would say uh there's nothing wrong there's nothing shameful about being in the sex industry mm-hmm. and one thing i did like is that i mean there was a scene where there use of drugs, they're smoking crack.
4: Right. Yeah.
7: And it didn't happen until much later in the movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And I thought that was good because it established them as humans first.
2: Right, They're right.
7: not drug addicts, they're humans who do drugs.
2: Uh-huh.
7: Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it took them out of this archetype. I liked both the characters. I understood that uh, that environment is, is some people's realities. Mm-hmm. I was thankful that they were humanized the way they did. I saw a lot in the movie that reminded me of myself. So there's a scene mm-hmm. where she, where Cindy is in the subway train mm-hmm. and she's looking out of the window. I don't think a lot of people realize that if you're a trans person, that can be a sort of defense mechanism because you're pretty much locked in a box with complete strangers for a while. Mm. And when you're looking out the window, they can't see your face Mm -hmm. and they can't see your features. Yeah. So I guess that there's something to be said about how black trans women are consistently portrayed. Mm
4: -hmm. I
7: do think there is a conversation there. Sure. But I also think that, Hey, sex workers and people who have substance abuse issues are humans too.
6: Absolutely.
7: And I think ultimately this movie was more about friendship mm-hmm. and adversity than any of that.
4: Definitely, yeah. to, to speak to the, um, so I was just talking about how just last night at the time of this recording, this documentary just came out on Netflix, but the doc disclosure that um, Laverne Cox among many other people executive produced, They touch on this specific thing in the documentary about how the representation of black trans women, especially in media, that they are depicted as sex workers pretty disproportionately. Absolutely. And there is an acknowledgement that there are statistically many black trans women sex workers, but as the documentary Disclosure points out, there's usually a failure in movies and television to examine why that might be which is that the unemployment rate for black trans women is very high because of discrimination. And many black trans women have no choice but to turn to sex work because no one will give them a job.
7: Absolutely.
4: Yeah, there's always a failure to acknowledge any of the systemic reasons why Mm -hmm. black trans women might be sex workers. And it's just like, well, that's just what black trans women be. And Yeah. Right,
7: right. As if when everyone was going to elementary school and one person wanted to be a police officer and the other person wanted to be... Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no little kid is Mm -hmm. in it. And uh, when people want to know about intersectionality, Mm -hmm. Black trans women are my go-to example Mm -hmm. because it is the intersection of being a person of color and being transgender Mm -hmm. as an example. But yes, I do think that uh, a lot of people, especially people who push this uh, personal responsibility narrative, as if it's a false dichotomy. It's an either or. You're either taking personal responsibility for your situation or you're blaming external factors, Mm -hmm. as if external factors can't possibly be (laughs) responsible, at least in part for for your current situation, Mm -hmm. whatever that situation may be. But, yes, I think what most minority groups need above anything else in film representation is to be humanized right, Absolutely. and I think that Tangerine did do a good job of that
2: amazing, yeah, I'm also curious of um going off of Tangerine a little bit. What would you like to see more of in terms of representation? what is um something that you would like to see more of that that isn't quite I don't know that isn't quite in the mainstream yet
7: as far as black trans women yes or yes. just in general oh as far as like okay so one of my favorite sci-fi books mm-hmm. and one of the stories that I point to as one of the best representation of a trans person mm-hmm. is a book called The Fifth Season mm-hmm. by N.K. Jemison. And there's a trans character in there who you don't find out is trans until two thirds of the way Mm. through the book. Mm. But until then, mostly what you know about her is that she's this sort of terminally curious, mad scientist. Mm. She sees a new thing and she's like, how does that work? I wonder what the technical applications of this are. Maybe if we put this thing in it, we could do this thing. And, uh, she comes from a well-to-do family, but she is pretty much exiled, not just because she's trans, but because she was supposed to be the man of the house who was supposed to marry well. Mm. And she's like, Well, I can't do that because I'm a woman. I can't be what you need me to be. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked this a story where a trans person her transness is not her defining trait Mm -hmm. but at the same time it doesn't pretend that it doesn't exist sure right so when you're saying like what would i like to see more of i would like to see more things like that
2: Mm -hmm.
7: acknowledging someone's transness without it being the defining trait for sure
4: yeah that's a balance that it seems like hollywood at least even though slow and slight progress is being made Mm -hmm. in terms of trans representation in Hollywood. It seems like still so many of the stories or storylines and shows or whatever are still very much contingent on, well, this is a trans person and that's the thing we know about them. Right.
7: Yes. There there was a controversy about a video game. I believe it was one of the Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale games. Oh,
2: okay.
7: And um, there was a trans character and it got criticized for poor representation Mm -hmm. because the trans person disclosed their transness, their trans status. They mention it in like the opening sentence of meeting the character, (laughs) (laughs) the main character. So it would be the equivalent of going up to someone. It's like, hi, uh, Caitlin, nice to meet you. I'm trans. So anyway. (laughs) um,
2: That's so jarring.
7: Yes, yes. And so they were like, you know, yes there is something to be said for uh it's it's evolving is is the point mm-hmm. that i'm getting at mm-hmm. and so you have trans characters in games now that aren't so in your face yeah. but right. but uh it's it's like um do you remember atari yeah. yes you remember how it was originally blocks and now the playstation 5 is coming out and it looks damn near like real people
4: right <laughs>
7: yeah I think dialogues have a sort of the same progression.
4: Mm. <laughs> I like this metaphor. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> like, this is, this is good shit. <laughs> uh, yeah.
7: Yeah. I think that they're still figuring it out and mm-hmm. me being, having Gothic tendencies, I don't usually lean toward optimism, mm. but I think that, <laughs> I think that they're, they're working it out.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of what that, that documentary disclosure is about this sort of slow evolution of trans representation in media and how for decades and decades it was all about transphobia, trans panic, uh, just all of the really harmful things that misrepresentation of trans people does for individuals as well as culture at large. Uh, and how it's really only been in the past like maybe five years that there's been any kind of headway made in terms of progress towards more empathetic and positive representations of of trans people in popular media.
7: I think that once the internet came out, Uh once we had the internet, it was a wrap because (laughs) uh, knowledge is the bane of ignorance. And Mm -hmm. now with the internet, we can just know things at such a rapid pace. A lot of people can know a thing very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really think that there would be a discussion of intersectional feminism at this rate or Black Lives Matter or trans issues without the information age that we now live in. Totally.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: And we would, I mean, we, what we were talking about in the episode was it's, it seems like Tangerine is a good step in the right direction, but I hope in a couple of years, we're at a point where it's like a a sci-fi story with a trans protagonist. That would be fucking incredible. Right, and absolutely. like, just like you were saying, just, you know, centering the story on a trans character in a way that mm-hmm. isn't like... And this is what trans representation is. It's like, no, we're in a sci-fi world with a trans character, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
4: the normalization is still something we need to normalize, if that makes any sense. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yes, Put it on it is, a T-shirt. Wow. <laughs> wow.
2: Really makes you think.
7: <laughs> I mean, it's it's a process, but. Uh... It's something we'll just have to keep working on mm-hmm. until we do. because I remember watching a documentary on the representation of black people on the screen back mm-hmm. when they were black and white movies. And there was a time when if a black person was on the screen for a couple of seconds. Black families would call out to everyone in the house and say, look, a Black person on TV. And they wow. would all run to the TV to watch the Black person on TV. Uh-huh. And this was before, say, Living Single or The Cosby Show or What's right. Happening or mm-hmm. Family Matters. And so, yeah, I think most groups probably, when it comes to representation, uh, go through this
4: process. hmm as we talk about on the show often representation will kind of come in waves or there will be stages to it where first of all any marginalized group will be more or less just erased pretended they don't exist in media absolutely then there will be an, an acknowledgement of their existence and an inclusion of it on screen but that that representation will be horrifying racist nice. transphobic you know all yeah mm-hmm. just like really damaging and then when we, when, you know, enough people realize that that's not good, then there will be more progress to something. And then, and then that's Gendrine when... Tangerine we'll...
2: even is like that very particular sub step that we've noticed where it's like, yeah. okay, we are going to center this story on black trans women in an authentic way. The director is still some random white guy who went to NYU, mm. but, right. you know, it's, it's like the story <laughs> is still not like given to the people who who need to be telling it yes Um, Mm -hmm. so it's like a step like inching 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 forward Mm -hmm.
7: yeah Uh, a lot of people don't know that the writers for good times were all white
2: oh wow yeah
4: to begin with (laughs) yeah and
7: so yeah yeah that is definitely a process (sighs) that uh it was the source of some tension between the actors and the writers sometimes i'd
4: imagine so yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yes
7: (laughs) but yeah it is it is part of the uh the evolution, Mm -hmm. something that I think most of us believe in.
4: Yes. Yes.
7: (laughs) But yes, I keep, but, um, but yeah, I I do think it is, it is one of the things that is part of the normal process, the no representation, Mm -hmm. then really bad representation. Mm
4: -hmm. And then small stepping stones. And then someday, hopefully very soon we have just, no one could take any issues with the representation that we see because Mm -hmm. it's at a place where it's positive and good and yeah a sci-fi expanded Mm -hmm. universe (laughs) right and that and that will come with trans people being the ones to tell their own stories
7: absolutely absolutely i look forward to the day when when the country can hate a trans villain because she's a douche
4: right and (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) And not because she's, like, a, a weird, tropey murderer. Right, murderer, murderer. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts, any other things you'd like to share in terms of Tangerine specifically or um, representation in general?
7: One thing that I thought was particularly poignant about Tangerine, mm-hmm. and I think this is true of many minority groups, but uh, I think trans women and trans women of color in particular Mm -hmm. is so toward the very end she found out that her best friend cheated with her boyfriend Mm -hmm. and she was like too angry to be angry Mm -hmm. (laughs) too angry to be angry and she's trying to walk away and then she's a victim of this hate crime yeah and then alexandra takes her to the laundromat to get cleaned up and mm-hmm. gives her her wig, which is wow, mm-hmm. which is a major gesture. Mm-hmm. And one thing I thought was very poignant was about how to some extent, marginalized people have this bond because they have to, mm-hmm. because the re- at the end of the day, the rest of the world is against marginalized. People Mm -hmm. and um, I thought that it ended on a note that expressed the value of sticking together and being there for each other.
4: Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, Violet, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This was thank you so much
7: for having me. It was so much fun. Yes,
4: give us your plugs, your social media handles. Where can people Mm -hmm. follow you? Oh, sure.
7: On Instagram, I'm chaotic violet. You get to see all my weird Renaissance Fair costumes. Oh, nice. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on Twitter, I'm uh, Violet Silver. Mm-hmm. And this Monday, I'm going to be on the Butterboy comedy Zoom show. Yeah. I love with Aparna Nancherla, oh, Ron yes. Funches, awesome. Judah Friedlander.
2: Amazing.
7: Yeah, that is where you can find me. Oh, uh, Violet Gray on YouTube.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And yeah, that's it. Incredible.
2: Amazing. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for joining us.
7: Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful.
4: Yay. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back for more.
0: Me.
1: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
0: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know this. I ain't no spy girl
1: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. I want to be remembered for
2: just
1: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson.
5: Rated R, under 17, not a minute, without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect.
2: Um, We're back. We're back. And another thing that I I love how this movie, like, toes the line of you, you so often see, like, characters defined by their own trauma. Like, I think that that's a lot of, like when cishet white guys are writing outside of their own experience and when like a lot of like when any writer is writing outside of their own experience i feel like it is a really lazy writing tactic to lean on defining someone by their trauma and i think this movie for the most part toes the line really well of portraying that like there are very, very real struggles that these characters are encountering. We find out that Cindy uh, was just put in jail, it seems like, for not a good reason. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, the kind of looming presence of the cops that never fully explodes but is always there. Like, you you see the unfair shit that they have to deal with, but it doesn't dominate the story in a way that defines them what defines the story is how you know it is primarily like alexandra and cindy's friendship which is so Mm -hmm. like fun to see and that that's a whole journey as well and yeah for sure i (laughs) it's also i mean the characters themselves
4: many of them are not i guess for lack of a better term woke (laughs) like there's there's slurs that I know there's you know there's reductive and offensive name calling that gets thrown around there's I mean a large component of the story is Cindy being pretty violent toward another woman and not holding Chester accountable enough perhaps for cheating and really in targeting the other woman you know which is a thing that always you know dings our little bell but at the same time like I I give all of that a pass, just because again that that f- these characters feel so.
2: I'm like, yes, that would probably happen, and of course this. And Dinah is such an Dinah. I mean, and she she has her own su- like sub story as well. But like w- when you meet Dinah, she's such an antagonistic mm-hmm. asshole. Like you know it it doesn't necessarily justify the violence against her but i also it's like i don't know cindy is already upset uh dinah does not approach the situation in a way that is remotely like cool or calm or anything and so (laughs) i feel like it's justified in story of like you know particularly when you first meet her before you get those like more tender moments and you get more context for her you're like oh i i get why cindy is like pissed at 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 this lady
6: but also as as shitty as all the the men are in the movie the cis men mm-hmm. you you never really get the feeling that any of the women are actually threatened by them mm. though in real life that might not be the case mm-hmm. um, in in the film you don't you don't get that impression
2: right that's true I guess yeah with Alexandra's um, client early on. Where he only has forty bucks and he's like trying to shortchange her and and like she's she has none of it and it ends up like it, it the situation flares up but eventually it's fine and she has control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She gets her forty bucks, right? At least I forget. I don't she think she ever does. Does she not? Uh, I think Bec- she uh, did because she they, the cops the interfere. Oh right, Ugh, fuck. Yeah.
4: Uh, but then she she does meet up with Razmik, who gives her money. But Razmik is also... Um, it's complicated. Yeah, but that's, I mean... <laughs> right. And then also, like, I wanted to mention that even though Cindy is literally dragging Dinah by her hair and being violent toward her and, and all this stuff... I can't speak from personal experience, but I have to imagine that she as a black trans woman would feel very betrayed by Chester cheating on her with a cis white woman. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I get it. Like I'm I'm not necessarily pro her hitting Dinah, but I don't know. I was. Maybe I am. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> I totally was.
6: <laughs> yeah. If anyone's gonna do it, it should be her. You know? Right. <laughs> right. Right. It feels like it's not it's not uh it's not really abusive. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah,
4: she's just uh she was betrayed and they were having she... fun. It just looked it it's looked all, like they were it's having good fun. fun. They smoke
2: yeah. meth together.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> they,
2: it is uh, it's like it's <laughs> different rules. It's so funny, because it's, like, not not to excuse a kidnapping, but it seems like a pretty light kidnapping. Because by the time they're on the bus, like, even Dinah is kind of, like, joking about it. She's like, oh, can I pick up my hair tie? Is that okay? I'm still your captive, (laughs) but, like, can I put my hair back? And Cindy's like, yeah, fine, whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a very friendly kidnapping. They go to a show (laughs) together. They, you know, it's... um, yeah, when
6: I went to the bar and the door guy said she's she's only got one shoe, she said oh, she's yeah. from the hills, <laughs> she's, she's from a from hillbilly, she's
2: <laughs> and the door guy's just like, sure, fine, All whatever, right. great. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I keep
4: having to remind myself that like these are people whose survival instinct and just like survival mentality is so much more heightened than mine needs to be because of my privilege. Like I don't need to be out on the streets where the risk of danger and violence against me is much greater. So I have to like remind myself like, while I wouldn't drag another woman out onto the street by her hair, like I am not put in danger every day.
6: Also the the stakes are a little higher when you consider that going back to jail for mm. either of these women, mm-hmm. most likely means being put in a jail with men.
2: Mm, right. Very true. Absolutely. I think that, yeah, and, and the fact that, that that even though they're not credited as writing it, the fact that Maya and Kiki are writing this story from their own experiences, you know, it, it they're presenting true experiences and they're presenting it in a way that is very fun to watch and Mm -hmm. i mean yeah that's why the movie's good
4: like it's 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 because of them and their performances and their input and their lived experiences that get adapted to the screen like yeah that's why this
2: movie was a success and it's like let's be honest if we had just let sean and chris
6: it would be so depressing.
2: Oh, like yeah. yeah. Guess their way around what the relationship between Cindy and Dinah would be. They would have gotten it
6: so wrong. <laughs> like it would have been requiem for a dream with a song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like it would have just. And and so yeah. I everything in this movie that it just that you're just like oh i don't is but it's like it's they're they're telling their own story in an authentic way and it's based on true experiences and it's just like okay that, that it is what it is like they're they're telling their story
4: mm-hmm. now's a good time to cut to our next segment with another special guest She is a comedian, a writer for the Portland Mercury. Uh, She's an associate producer of the Portland Queer Comedy Festival. It's Dahlia Bell.
0: Yay! Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
4: Of course, of course. So we just wanted to hear your thoughts on... The representation of Black trans women in the movie Tangerine specifically. And then if you had any other thoughts on trans representation, Black trans representation, the intersection of those things in media in general.
0: Yeah. So um, to be entirely honest, I did have to go back and watch the movie uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) about two nights ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, it, it did not rub me well. i I will Mm. say that and i really had to do some Mm. personal soul searching sure because you know initially i'm like am i so puritanical or am i so caught up in respectability that i'm opposed to the representation of a black trans woman as sex workers and Mm -hmm. i thought about that and no i'm absolutely not Mm. and quite honestly many of my friends are full service sex workers so mm-hmm. i'm like no that's not my issue is it even necessarily the drug use i would say no uh i do mm-hmm. understand uh where drug use does play a role in both trans culture and the broader queer culture um, simply you know being stuck in situations where we're trying to find ourselves mm-hmm. and in many cases, I've been a pro-drug advocate. Mm -hmm. However, the representation I feel is very sloppy and relies on some very familiar tropes Mm -hmm. that I think, generally speaking, representations of Mm -hmm. trans women are guilty of. For example, the image of... Mm -hmm. So first, I do want to commend the movie for Mm -hmm. casting what I would say are realistic average looking trans Mm -hmm. women, as opposed to even a program I love like Pose, where you have the obviously over glamorized uh, mythos that people want to see. Mm -hmm. But all the same, I feel it's a very messy image Mm -hmm. of trans sex workers. It kind of paints Mm. us as buffoons, Mm. sort of the old step and fetch it tradition Okay. Yeah. Then the trope of you know fighting over the affection of some ne'er do well cis male.
4: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like, why is that always our ultimate prize? You know, like
2: mm-hmm. Chester.
0: Surely, there's nothing else that trans women could possibly want than some random cis loser.
4: <laughs> yeah. And that is putting it nicely, honestly. Like Chester. <laughs> chester
2: sucks (laughs) yeah
0: he's garbage so (laughs) i mean i i i I speak only for myself but honestly i think i speak for a lot of uh especially contemporary Mm -hmm. trans women when i say many of us do ultimately embrace what appears to be exclusively lesbian lifestyles or or ways of being or identities Mm -hmm because our experiences with cis men are so negative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at a certain point, you have to be like, is this worth my time? Mm -hmm. Is this something worth chasing after? And that's a question that's never really raised in any depiction of trans women that I have ever seen. There's always this element of us longing for the affection of this class. I I don't know why.
4: Yeah, I totally see your point. Mm. The first, I've seen this movie a few times now. Um, I love it. I, I think it's such a yeah, fun yeah. romp. And of course, I'm coming at it, you know, Jamie and I are coming at it with blind spots with our backgrounds. So yeah. to say that, I hadn't yeah. even fully considered your point about the kind of buffoonery that is arguably displayed. I always yeah. sort of interpreted that as... Oh but they're fun and they're they're just, you know, they're goofy and we're seeing like rather than a, a, a tragic story, which is how many trans narratives play out. We're seeing a fun uh, a fun romp. So that was like always my kind of like right. You know, just interpretation of that. Yeah. Um but I totally see your point. And,
0: and I had to look at that, you know, yeah. numerous times because is it inherently buffoonery? To have trans performers in you know slapstick sort of roles, mm. and to make that argument would be very problematic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, it's a matter of looking at that intersection of black heritage mm-hmm. and black history within American cinema and then trans representation. And when you really look at the mm-hmm. the Venn diagram of that, yeah, I think there are some issues raised, uh-huh. you know?
2: We were, we've been talking a lot about how, I mean, the fact that the movie is written and directed by cis white guys as well. Um, yeah. Likely, you know, f- factors into a lot of what's going on within the movie that maybe doesn't match up quite well, and how um, the yeah. two lead actresses in this movie. Uh, were not credited as writers, even though they had a yeah. huge influence on what happened in, in the story. And then yeah. ultimately <laughs> all the credit going back to, you know, the, the Tish grad um, <laughs> is ugh, exhausting.
4: So that was the first time you had seen it. Is that right? Is that right?
0: Yeah. 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 yeah oh, and okay. it was interesting because my partner, who's also non-binary trans, mm-hmm. they're gender fluid, mm-hmm. though. But... It was their second or third time seeing it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they're more a fan of like queer cinema. Uh-huh. Uh So we've been, they've been like taking me on this tour of <laughs> of all the que- the queer uh, <laughs> classics. Sure. And you know, kind of realizing some holes and blind spots in a lot of the films that a lot of us felt were. Mm -hmm. formative you know just because at that time the people that were in the writing room weren't necessarily part of our community or even the people in the writing rooms who are part of the community are likely those who fit into a specific narrative
2: that makes that makes a ton of sense we hadn't even come at it from that angle that makes a ton of sense Um, is there any, I mean, not to, we don't want to put you on the spot, but what would you like to see more, uh, from in terms of trans representation in, in film in general and black trans representation?
0: Yeah, I guess what I would really like to see would be, I guess the happy medium, Mm -hmm. you know, the happy medium, even if we're, we're going to be represented exclusively as sex workers. You know, I I get why that trope is still useful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But even if we're going to do that, I would like it to be maybe a happy medium between, say, Tangerine and Pose, where you have Mm. these realistic, average-looking, perhaps, quote-unquote, non-passable trans Mm. sex workers who are empowered, not necessarily wealthy, not necessarily glamorous, but not... Mm. Being exploited or, you know, being reckless or mm-hmm. things of this sort, but actually flourishing, thriving. Maybe a montage sort of show where maybe you have the uh, trans call girl and then you have the trans businesswoman and, you know, the trans whatever this dude does. He's a tailor, <laughs> maybe. But, you know, <laughs> just allow us to be human beings mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. just the sort of trope either for cheap laughs or otherwise gratuity yeah or sexualization things of that sort
2: mm-hmm. absolutely
4: yeah and as we've been discussing you know representation is often unless it's representation of like uh, cis, cishet white wealthy men who there's an abundance of <laughs> representation for in yeah. cinema, you know, we talk about how there's an evolution in terms of representation. It goes from erasure to negative representation to Steps in the right direction mm-hmm. to positive representation. And it feels like we're still somewhere in the steps in the right direction phase in terms of trans representation in film and TV. And Tangerine feels to me like a good step in the right direction. Yeah. But maybe not what we want to see ideally, especially because the people behind the camera and taking credit for writing the script and things like that uh, are white cis men telling the story of black trans women yeah i don't know would you would you agree with that assessment that you know tangerine's a step in the right direction
0: i I think it will definitely be uh included in the canon long term Mm -hmm. you know i think Mm -hmm. tyler perry still has his place within black cinema that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean i'm going to necessarily watch a tyler perry movie on purpose (laughs)
4: Um, Medea
2: isn't your favorite.
4: Yeah, character? yeah. You
0: see you have to spring Tyler Perry on someone. You have to be
2: like, you have to walk in the room and it's already been on for 45 minutes and you're like, "Alright." Yeah, exactly. I guess we're just like, "Hey, what are we watching? Is this?
0: It's too late."
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, any other any other thoughts you'd like to share?
0: No, I try to keep most of my thoughts to myself. It helps They're... me keep friends. <laughs>
4: well thank you so much for joining us thank this you. has been so wonderful um thank you give us your your plugs where can people follow you online anything you'd like to plug
0: Oh uh, yeah uh, well <laughs> i'm gonna behave um <laughs> uh, so uh i think one of the more fun places to follow me is on instagram at mixdaliabell. mix da- being mx dahlia bell uh you could also follow me on facebook at dahlia dahlia bell or mix dahlia bell uh one is my comedy page which kind of mirrors my instagram this is way too long of an explanation no. i should no, have give explained us more. i haven't no keep keep uh, going <laughs> we
4: want to he- we want to follow you <laughs> everywhere
0: <laughs> okay if you follow my personal Facebook page it's mostly my random political rantings and existential dread that I experience every morning around 2am of course but my Instagram are really cute pictures of me so that <laughs> that's really where you should go
4: what a great balance though of yeah. depending on the vibes yeah. that you're seeking
2: there's always there's a lot yeah. of options
0: there's always Dolly Bell <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much again thank Uh, you you were wonderful
4: have a good Sunday (laughs) yay thanks again Dahlia and now we're back with Kai Choice um does anyone have any other thoughts feelings
6: feelings (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. talk to us about your feelings Kai so I just think everyone should should know that um if you got to go to donut time (laughs) you're very lucky it was they actually have really good donuts there but oh. it later became a, a Trejo's Tacos, and then it became a mm. Trejo's Donuts. Mm. And now it, it might be nothing soon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's doing very well. Oh, no. Uh, I could be wrong, but I just I don't see people there ever.
2: I haven't either. I know. I, I passed there a couple of days ago knowing that we were going to watch this movie. I was like, oh, goddamn, seven years. Seven years makes all the difference.
6: <laughs> I feel like a lot of, a lot of stories... That portray sex work tend to use that portrayal uh, to remove agency from the characters and to kind mm. of denigrate the experience. Mm. And you don't see that happening here. Right like in every situation, the women seem to be very in control of the situation, regardless of whether or not that is always the case in real life. For uh, sure, with these characters, like even with with Razmik, you you don't feel like he's exploiting these women. Mm-hmm. And the one guy who is trying to exploit someone ends up it ends up you know
2: getting the shit kicked out
4: of backfiring him. <laughs> on him
2: yeah right so, which is for sure. karma baby uh, <laughs> yeah and 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 that the the story I mean the story covers a lot of ground but every character gets a full arc and the strongest bond in the movie is the bond between Cindy and Alexandra and like I just I, it's really fun to see especially like a a female friendship that you see have ups and downs and it's not just like a perfectly written like we're best friends we always get along everything's great la 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 it's like they mm-hmm. disagree with each other every other second <laughs> but there is such a clear bond Maya and Kiki have such strong chemistry um, as performers that it just like it just holds the movie together in such an amazing way that I cannot picture two different performers in this movie like they make right. the movie
6: I mean they're like good friends in real life too yes
2: yeah before yeah. they
4: were cast yep yeah I feel like the, sure. the
2: iPhones got more more airtime than they needed to in this like people talked about the iPhones more than they talked about Maya and Kiki is we we gotta we gotta turn that around
4: mm-hmm. another thing kind of to, pi- to
2: piggyback on um, what you were saying just a
4: moment ago, Kai, is the way sex work is often portrayed in movies and media, another thing it will do I think is It's like to... a plot device
6: it's treated as like a plot device that a character needs to overcome.
4: Right. That yeah. um you know, a life that the characters are trying desperately to escape from. And maybe some of them are, but that isn't really a component of this movie, at least not on the day that we see these characters. But then another thing is like, I think that sex workers will often be characterized in such a way that they are shown as having like no moral compass almost or they they wouldn't care like sex means nothing to them or they don't they can't form real human relationships so they mm-hmm. they would never have a fiance or a boyfriend or you know anything like that but like like cindy this whole movie is driven by her envy basically of having been cheated on just yeah another thing that humanizes these characters and this movie also does a a thing that's kind of subtle but every so often we'll hear some of the sex worker characters tell a story like from their childhood like there's one little anecdote where Alexandra is like oh I had a Barney doll and then I put it in the bathtub and then I think maybe she's like the madame of the party room but she says something like yeah me and my sister would always like
6: go.
4: i would I not describe
6: that's... that woman as a madame
2: but... is that what it says that's on her linkedin like
6: i like it um,
4: yeah i don't know exactly what the best terminology
6: is but um... no, i love the embellished credits
4: <laughs> this is it's
2: great fancy <laughs> she
4: um she says something like yeah me and my sister would go to these dances when we were kids and we were supposed to bring a boy but I could never find a boy so I would take I would go dance with my sister and it was just like stories of them like and it's like yes like sex workers used to be children they have interiority they have feelings they have jealousy they have other, like the whole range of emotions that's and a trick
6: a, right that's a trick they say if you're ever kidnapped by a serial killer you should tell them a story involving your childhood. Because it's the wow. best way to humanize yourself to a complete stranger. It's because is that everyone true? can Does that relate work? to being a kid. Supposedly it works oh, wow. much better than screaming, let me go.
2: So in this case <laughs> the movie is the kidnapped and we are the serial killers. The- yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's true though. It's I, I feel like a, a common misstep in movies in general as just um when you're trying to subvert a narrative the the message is more like i'm not like the other girls i'm like this but what this movie mm-hmm. does is just say these are these characters they're like this they the movie is not comparing them to other people they're just showing this is a night in the life of these characters like right take it or leave it and it seems like everyone wanted to take it my cat is meowing someone's so cat oh, she's so cute flee. <laughs> flea uh, I, w- I wanted to uh really quickly touch on Razmik and mm-hmm. his family Razmik is not the central character of, of the movie obviously mm-hmm. but i did want to um just bring up because he is he is an armenian immigrant who moved to los angeles there is a large armenian population in Los Angeles, but you never see them represented. And I did Mm -hmm. a little bit of research on this because I mean, you do get that this movie does such a great job of giving every character like an interior life. And so for Resmik, he's dealing with his mother-in-law you know, he's he's perhaps misrepresenting how he spends his time to his family. We're not exactly mm-hmm. sure. Um, right. But we we see that he has a home life. We see that he has his own interior struggles, and that is not something that is usually lent to an Armenian character. Because Armenian characters, um, I did a little research just to kind of confirm, I was like, I don't know how many Armenian characters I've seen on in pop culture really at all. Mm-hmm. And representation for Armenian people, Kardashians aside, is extremely low. Mm-hmm. Most of the examples you'll find are on TV, um, and they're usually characterized rather violently. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see... Armenian characters often pop up on like shows like the Sopranos as like mob bosses or things like mm-hmm. that there's definitely some stock characters when yeah. Armenian characters appear on screen they appear in a very particular way and so you know again resmik and his family are not the center of the movie but I do think it's like many things this movie does it is a step in the right direction mm-hmm. because I mean in, in movies about LA in general you are seeing one zip code in a gigantic city <laughs> like you're seeing Beverly Hills <laughs> usually yeah the class warfare zip code and <laughs> it is a gigantic and many parts of it are are wonderful and cool um but you don't get to see most of those parts and so mm-hmm. I thought it was really nice to see an armenian family represented and i sincerely hope that um that continues to happen mm-hmm. moving forward and we get to see all sorts of Armenian characters I would have loved to see more of Rasmik's wife um his wife mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> no she does she does have a name uh her name is eva uh but yeah. i would i would have loved to see more of her and like so yeah that's a yet another yeah. thing that this movie does that most movies about Los Angeles do not
4: I agree and uh to our armenian listeners mm-hmm. um if you have any other other examples of positive representation you have seen on screen of Armenian people let us know cuz uh, we'd like to check those out.
2: Yeah, and refer us to uh works and characters that that are that are worth covering. We're mm-hmm. we're always listening. But yeah, there there have been some pieces written in the past several years about how extremely limited there's mm-hmm. one character on the Sopranos. There's a series of characters on The Shield. Okay. There's a character on Weeds, and then there's the Kardashians, mm. end of list. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do need more Armenian representation as Certainly.
4: well. Yes. Um, does Tangerine pass the Bechtel test? For sure.
2: Lots, lots and lots. Between a bunch of different, between all sorts of pairings of characters. And again, the main, like... Like we've said, the
4: relationship that's really at the core of this movie is the friendship between Cindy and Alexandra, and they talk all the time about, and sure, they're talking about Chester sometimes, but other times they're talking about fish they're talking about dinah <laughs> they're talking about like Alexandra's performance and singing and
2: you know all all kinds of stuff dinah and cindy talk at length as well mm-hmm. uh there is conversation between resmi's um wife and her mother uh that mm-hmm. is usually concerning him but there are a few line exchanges that don't and they it concern their daughter and there, there's a lot of this movie passes a whole bunch for sure all that to say mm-hmm. yeah also,
4: another rare example of a movie that passes the Vito Russo test, passes mm. the What's DuVernay that? test. Uh, the Vito Russo test, um, it basically examines if there are any queer characters in the movie at all and if removing them would impact the plot at all. Mm. Basically, they have to be essential to the story and they can't be, they cannot only be identified by their queerness they have to have like other characteristics and interiority so okay uh, this movie very handily passes that test uh like i said the duvernay test um kind of all of them it really hits all the marks Uh, as far as our nipple scale goes um zero to five nipples based on its representation of women and also part of me wants to kind of retool our nipple scale a bit I know but I think it would behoove us to kind of just reword it or like retool it a bit to it being more about like how does this movie fare from an intersectional feminist point of view
2: totally yeah that makes sense So
4: either way uh, looking at it from either version of our nipple scale Mm. um, it gets pretty top marks I think I'm going to give it a 4.5 the fact that it is a what I think is a good step in the right direction of trans representation, Black trans representation specifically. Also, we didn't really talk about this, but Cindy is Afro-Latina, which is another Mm -hmm. representation we often don't get in media in general. So I appreciated that aspect of her character as well. Yeah, I think that it handles a lot of things very well, as we've discussed the humanization of sex workers and sex work and The focus on the friendship between Cindy and Alexandra and um, the fact that a story, again, a story about black trans sex workers is fodder for like tragedy porn. And that's not what this movie was at all. It was a fun Many genres in one. Yeah. (laughs) I, I loved all those things. I love this movie. I'm going to watch it every Christmas. And... It, and Fuck Die also, Hard.
2: This is the Christmas movie. Right. Boom. Yeah.
4: So uh, where it gets taken off for me is, uh, again, this idea of, well, the only way we're going to be allowed to te- like, learn about trans people or hear their stories is through the lens of cis white men mm-hmm. <laughs> at this moment in history. You know, this... Should have been a, a movie made by trans filmmakers. So, um, a step. A step. Um, so yeah, 4.5, and I will give, I'll split my nipples between Cindy and
2: Alexandra. Cool. Yeah, I was gonna go, uh, I think, a four point two five on this Mm -hmm. movie i i i feel weird marking it much higher because while this movie has so many wonderful elements going for it in terms of representation I, i i do still feel like i always get a bit of like a Oh, when you look up the director and you find out, mm-hmm. okay, this is and um, something that bugs me that uh, we we discussed a little bit as well is that the director goes on to leverage the success of this movie into making mm-hmm. the Florida project another wonderful movie that does not involve any of the cast from Tangerine and we haven't seen. Um, really many actors from this movie since, even Mm -hmm. in that same director's work. And I do feel like, particularly if you are an NYU guy who, and I'm not saying that, you know, he didn't do a great job. I think he did. But I I Mm -hmm. do feel like you you cannot, in good faith, use, to some extent, a marginalized community story to launch your own career and then not prioritize lifting everyone with you. Like, that is just... You can't, you can't, you can't. Um, other than that, I, I do um, agree with everything you said, Caitlin. I uh, love the representation of black trans women. I love the friendship. I love that it's a romp. Uh, just there's, It's so, 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 so funny. Um, mm-hmm. And I credit, you know, 90% of it to the lead actresses. They're so, yeah. so good. And, and also, you know, you get uh, representation of just a lot of los angeles that you normally wouldn't you have the picture of an armenian immigrant family you have there's you know sex worker representation mm-hmm. this movie's got everything <laughs> uh so so yeah i'll, I'll go uh 4.25 yeah. uh i'll give two to cindy two to alexandra and one quarter to Resmeek's baby Oh, oh!
4: I thought you were gonna say Razmik's dog, but that's probably better. (laughs) (laughs) I would have given it to the dog. I mean, that's just me. Different people. (laughs) Yes. Kai, how about you?
6: Uh, I want to. I want to say a four, and Mm -hmm. I would say the only reason I'm not giving it a five is because of the issues that you guys brought up, but also because there was a little bit of a Tarantinoism going on here, where I think that anytime you have uh, white characters. Uh, using the n-word to mm. display how terrible of a person they are mm-hmm. uh, it should at least there should be a black person directing it or writing it or or something because by all appearances they got that pass from yeah whoever wrote the script True. which was not necessary they were terrible enough as it as it went yeah mm-hmm. right <laughs> totally. you could replace the n-word with a monster energy drink in the hand and uh, <laughs> you know we get the same impression
4: and we get it we
2: get it yeah <laughs> Well,
4: Kai, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me.
6: This was fun. It was
2: nice to talk to you.
4: Yeah, good to to see you. It's been a while. Likewise. Um,
6: Where can people follow your stuff, check out your podcast? Uh, You guys uh, can listen to my podcast uh, anywhere podcasts are found. It's called Women Who Kill. It is a true crime comedy podcast. And the focus of each episode is a lady who is a murderer. So we Mm -hmm. don't talk about any dudes who rape and murder unless they're part of a couple. <laughs> ah. <laughs> which it's only happened a couple of times you can also find me on twitter and instagram at Kai choice that's k-a-i-c-h-o-y-c-e and uh i mean that's about it we're not doing live shows these days maybe no. one day we'll, we'll be back to it but otherwise you can catch me on podcasts. you can catch me being highly inappropriate on social media <laughs>
4: I, I really thoroughly enjoy your social media presence, uh, if yeah. I may say. Thank you. Speaking of social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. We've got a Patreon, aka Matreon. It's $5 a month. It gets you two bonus episodes plus our entire back catalog of all of our bonus episodes. And um, You guys
6: got to start using Protagonista, by the way. Protagonista. Protagonista. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> it's in. You can have it.
4: Thanks, thanks for tuning in. See you next time.
3: Bye. Bye. apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
5: as the number one audio company iheartmedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iheartmedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more